So guys, we're going to talk about an important topic today. It's a, as I always encourage people, we really shape our worldview from Jesus. So today we're going to talk about the return of Christ, which is an important part of our worldview. Because if we don't know that Jesus is going to come back one day to restore all things, to bring judgment on the living and the dead, for those who believe in Jesus to go into eternal glory with him, and those who do not believe in Jesus but have rejected and rebelled him to face the judgment and the wrath um, for rejecting Jesus. Um, if we don't have that in our worldview, we have a, um, a worldview that's lacking a completeness, a wholeness in all these things. I once heard a woman who had got ra- been raised in the Methodist church, and once again, you guys know when I talk about denominations, it's never to knock them, um, but she was raised in the Methodist church, um, and she never heard anyone say, any pastor, any preacher, that Jesus was coming back. So as you're in her 40s, 50s, she said, Jesus coming back? I've never heard that in my life. And so as we talk through the storyteller, and we're getting close to the end, and as you're getting close to the end, you have to talk about the return of Jesus. Um, to be honest with you, there's two things that are so mysterious to me. I mean, even parts of the Bible say God reveals some things to us, and we, we see through a mirror dimly, and we understand vital things, and God's soul infinitely intelligent and we're, we have limited intelligence that he reveals certain things to us that we know um, but there's certain things that are mystery to us so we talked about creation and we talked about a few things that were concrete we knew God created the earth he knew, we knew God created man in his image and we talked about just how there were certain viewpoints that fit into the biblical framework so you didn't have to believe in a literal day you could believe in a little day, but you also, with the Hebrew word yom, you could believe in a long period of time and how a different, the literary framework view and different views. And we're going to talk about much of the same with the end of Christ. Uh, I'm a church, this is a church that we're creating a culture where I want you guys to be thinkers and not be afraid that if you don't believe, like there's different viewpoints that we'll talk about about the return of Christ. There's certain churches that say, if you don't believe this one viewpoint, you can't be part of this church. We're not, Restoration Road's not like that. We, I would tell you this, you've got to believe that Jesus is coming back, okay? That's like foundational. If you've got a problem with that, you know what I mean? You should have watched the Pats game today. But we're going to talk about this certain foundational things, but I want you guys to be free to believe among certain viewpoints that are biblical. And we'll talk about some of those things today. But I also want you to be looking forward to the return of Jesus. And like I said, this is one of the things to me is so mysterious, the return of Christ. I believe in it, but the details, I'm like, how is this going to happen? Like, this is, you know, uh, just one day and, you know, all these kind of things. So I'm agreeing with you guys it's mysterious, but I 150% believe it because Jesus said it. And so those are the kind of things that we're going to stand on and learn from. So I want you guys to be encouraged that Jesus is coming back because that's the best news we could ever get. And we'll get into why. But also to challenge you, even when you're reading at home, when you're looking online, to, to look and see what the Bible says uh, about, especially Jesus' words in, in Revelation, what he says about his coming. And then start to work on growing in wisdom and knowledge of these things. It's important to do those things as a disciple of Jesus. So I always tell the story about Papoose Pond. 
Okay, me and my family used to go to this place called Papu's Pond. And I always tell it in different lights. It was up in Maine. So it had a rec center in the middle of the campground. And so all the kids would come into the center of the campground, and they'd play. There was ping pong in there. There were arcade games. Everyone would just have a blast. So my family was going to go in town to do some shopping, but I said, no. <coughs> I said, leave me here. I want to play with all the kids from the campground. And they said, okay, we'll be back for you. Their soon was different than my soon. So I thought that meant at least when it got dark out, you'd be back. So I'm playing ping pong. I'm doing the arcades. I'm having a good time. Little by little, I realized they closed the rec center, and everyone starts going home with their family, and I'm sitting in the middle. And country dark is different than city dark. When it's dark in the country, I don't think there was a star in the sky that night. I was just like, this is crazy right here. I found a 60-watt light bulb to sit under near the restroom in the middle of the woods, and I stood there, I stood there like the, under the light bulb. I was petrified. Your mind starts playing tricks on you. I could have swore there were animals watching me. And every time a car pulled into the campground, I was just like, okay, is that? Are those my parents? I was so afraid. It just kept getting later and later. Then finally, that Volkswagen camper pulled into the campground. You know what I did? I took off of it. I'm running next to that thing like far as I'm just running next to it. Just where I was so happy at the return of my parents. <laughs> Let me tell you what didn't happen. I didn't say Oh, man, are my parents going to come back? Is they, are they going to come back soon? Are they going to be here? No, I said, I want them to come back. Please come back. This place is scary. It's dark out here. I need my family. Let them return. In the same way, this is how you should think about the return of Christ. It's not something you don't want. It's not something you're afraid of. It's something you're eager for. The last two verses of the whole Bible read like this. He who testifies to things says, yes, I am coming soon. And then John, who was right and inspired by the Holy Spirit, says, Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with God's people. Amen. That last prayer. Come, Lord Jesus. We should look at this world. And part of our prayer life when we get an application is, Jesus, come. Not, we don't want you to come. We're afraid of that. Many churches, many pastors create cultures of fear because they preach eschatological events or end-time events in a way that causes people to be absolutely petrified. That's what, not what I want for Restoration Road. This is something we should look forward to. It's not, you shouldn't be fearful when you think about the coming of Jesus. You should be like, let this thing happen. We want it to happen. So we're going to dive into a few things. And let's dive into, um, first, the fact that Christ will return. I want to read these verses to you. Um, in John 14, 3, Jesus says, And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again. And I will take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. We talked about this earlier in the <coughs> sermon series. Jesus spoke words that comforted his disciples because they like, you can't leave. You can't leave us. We can't do this alone. He said, I'm coming back. I go to prepare a place for you. When we hear about the second coming, we should be comforted that our Savior, our Lord, the one who died for us, the one who rose again, the one who is God, is coming back again. In Matthew 24, 44, it says, Therefore, you must always be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. 
We'll get into that. Matthew 16, 27 says, For the Son of Man, and when they say Son of Man, it's Jesus speaking of himself according to prophecy, is going to come with his angels in the glory of his Father, and then he will repay each person according to what he has done. That gets a little scary if you don't know the gospel. Acts 1, 10, and 11. And I want you to see that Jesus spoke of it. Then his disciples through the scriptures were talking about the coming of Jesus. And while they were gazing into heaven, as he went, behold, two men stood by them, in white robes, and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you in heaven will come in the same way as you saw him going into heaven. So Jesus came back. He taught his disciples for 40 days, and he ascended into heaven. And they all were like just looking up there. And the angels who were with Jesus at ascension said to the people, Jesus will come back in the same way. We see that in the book of Acts. In James 5, 7, Jesus' brother, as he wrote this book, inspired by the Holy Spirit, says, be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruits of the earth. Be patient about it until it receives the early and the late rains, talking about the coming of his Savior, Jesus. And finally, we hear the last two verses of the Bible saying, I will come quickly. And John praying, please, Lord, come quickly. Now, we don't know when Christ is returned. So Christ is going to return. We see in the scriptures, I need you guys to live in that. We don't know the day of the time. We talked about with Harold camping a few weeks ago when he figured out this mathematical equation that people gave their lives to, $18 million people gave because they thought he knew the exact time driving through Bell. I saw the signs everywhere, Judgment Day. Everyone's running up their credit cards because it's almost over. No one knows the time or the seasons. Now, I need you guys to stay away from preachers, pastors on radio who are always talking about they know it's next week, or they know it's Sunday. It's not healthy to have an obsession with the end times that takes away from you doing good gospel work of loving people and loving others. That, Jesus didn't want us to have an unhealthy infatuation with the end times because it takes us away from our goal of loving people and loving others. So I just want to read um, some of these scriptures to you because what happens is these ministers, I just want to say one more thing. They have so many people consumed with this sign or that sign, and they got the diagrams. There's a seven-headed horse behind them while they're preaching. Let me tell you, I've been around these dudes for 35 years, man. They've been saving water balls and canned goods. The fruit of their life, there's nothing good that comes out of that kind of preaching. It creates fears and bunkers, and people are moving them. You know, like, it doesn't create love. It doesn't create gospel proclamation. It doesn't... create taking care of the poor and the hungry. It doesn't create discipleship. You want to look at the fruit of teaching, see if it's rooted in the gospel. And I've been around for a long time. I have guys, let me do a seminar about the revelation. I know what that all means. You don't. Revelation, one of the most mysterious books of the Bible, man. I used to read it at night just to scare myself and go to bed. That's mysterious. We can know certain things, but Christians throughout the years have disagreed on the interpretation of Revelation. But we can agree on things. things. Christ is coming, and no one knows the time of the day. No one knows. So let me read you these verses just so you know what Jesus is saying. (coughs) But concerning that day and hour, no one knows. Not even the angels of heaven, nor the Son. Now, this is one of the most mysterious things I hear in the Bible because it's kind of strange. Jesus says he doesn't know the day or the hour. Only God the Father knows. Now, once again, that doesn't shatter my faith because there's scriptures to say we don't fully understand all these things. 
We, I don't understand. How does that work? You're one. You're the same God. God the Father knows, but God... Like, what does that mean? But that doesn't shatter my faith. That's another... That's mysterious. Jesus is saying it. So, listen. The preacher on the AM radio, if Jesus don't know, he don't know. That's a pretty good measurement. Just line that up. He says, nor the Son, but the Father only. For as were the days of Noah, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. For as in those days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving to marriage until the day when Noah entered the ark, and they were unaware until the flood came and swept them all away. So will be the coming of the Son of Man. So what is Jesus saying there? No one knows the time. In some miraculous, mysterious way, only God the Father knows when the return of Christ will be. He also says culture will be absolutely oblivious to it. Just like in the days of Noah. What happened in the days of Noah? Noah's built in this ark. Everyone's making fun of him. Dude, it hasn't rained here in years. You're wasting your life building an ark. Everyone's living in abomination, living in violence, living in immorality, acting like nothing's going on, going on with their life. Then it says Jesus comes like a thief in the night. Unexpected. Unexpected. He tells us to be ready. Now, I got criminals as friends. I got people who are so anti-government. They're just anti-government. Any authority is a problem. Now, I'm not going to stop hanging out with these people because they accuse Jesus of hanging around with criminals. They accuse Jesus of being a drunkard and being a wine beverage. I'm not going to stop hanging around with sinners. But I hear their worldview. I hear their worldview. And they hate authority. They hate authority. So when they hear police sirens, that means something bad to them. They either run or they get angry at the authority. They have different names for authority. Like, pick, you know, like when they hear a siren, it means something different to them. When I hear a police siren, I'm comforted. <laughs> I think I'm raising a family in this town. I'm glad there's police in this town protecting my family, protecting me, looking out for the city, looking out for the town. When I hear a siren, I'm like, yes, I want to be in a town where there's police. Some of my friends don't want to be in a town with the police because they think they are the ultimate authority. It's going to be the same when the trumpet sounds in Jesus' return. To some people, that's the most horrible sound they could ever hear because that means judgment on the rebellion and the rejection of God. It means their sinful party is over and they can no longer claim themselves to be God. And I'll be honest with you, in a very righteous way, certain people aggravate me. I love them, I pray for them, but I saw a guy on TV that was living in absolute immorality, and he was so proud and haughty about it, and he said something to defame and blaspheme God, and part of me said, I can't wait to judgment day when this brother gets everything laid down and starts acting like he's God. Now, I want his soul to be saved, but I hate when people blaspheme God. I hate when people act like they're that tough. I heard a UFC fighter the other day say, I'll beat God. Like, I know he didn't literally mean it, but if he knew who God was, he, you don't make statements like that. You don't make statements like that. That's, that's pompous. It's foolish. And on judgment day, you ain't going to be so puffed up. When that trumpet blows, some people it's going to be terrifying. But to us, it's going to be the best noise you ever heard because Jesus is coming back and he's going to restore all things. All sin will pass away. No more health issues, no more lost loved ones, no more struggles. He's coming back to restore all things. This is something that we should be absolutely eager for. 
That's why one restoration be a culture where we're excited about the coming of the Lord because does anyone remember the Thief in the Night series? In the 70s, they came out with a series. Some do once again figure out the end times and exactly what would happen. It was one of those like B movies and they brought all the teenagers in like this was a good idea. And we all sat in front of this TV like and we watched these movies in youth group about like um, one's called Thief in the Night and they were beheading dudes for not taking the mark of the beast. You know how everyone's bugging out? It's a barcode. They put a computer chip in a gerbil in Virginia. Guys, stop it. Stop it. Stop it. We don't know those things. I've been around for, you, some of you guys have been around for longer than me. And I'm telling you, the people talking, they know these things. I never see good fruit from it. Know what happened to all those kids? A lot of them aren't following Jesus. A lot of them are afraid of Jesus coming back. And it just created this culture that was absolutely cuckoo. I was in a church at Y2K. Does everyone remember Y2K? Everyone swore. And I, they're my brothers and sisters. And listen, I'm not going to lie. I'm 59. I was a little scared because I said maybe, maybe, maybe everything's going down. I, I, who knows? I didn't fully believe it. But when enough people say it, you start saying it. Is there something wrong with me? 11.59 came. Nothing happened. Let me tell you. People were building bunkers. They were buying homes. They, more canned goods than you can imagine. But they believed that Y2K, and if anyone believed it in here, I still love you. A few people are like, shoot, that wasn't me, man. twitching. Let me tell you, I'm not knocking you, but I want us to live like that because that's not how Jesus called us to live. It created a culture of fear and nothing ever happened. You know how much good time was wasted where you could be proclaiming the gospel? People had whole shows, whole conversation. How much wasted time where we could have been loving God and loving others and we're talking about the world's ending in 2000. If the world's ending, that's the best thing. You shouldn't be saving canned goods. You should be preaching the gospel. That's the wrong response to the coming of Jesus. We should long for it. In Titus 3, it says, wait for our blessed hope. The appearing of the glory of great God and the Savior, Jesus Christ. When Jesus didn't come back that day, people were saying, why didn't he come back? I wanted to come back. Because the final results of the turn of Jesus are going to be absolutely fantastic. I watched a video because yesterday was the um, anniversary of the, the shootings in Connecticut. So you knew that God was going to work miraculous things out of that and somehow overcome evil with good in some beautiful and miraculous way. So this one family had lost their, they had three daughters, and their middle daughter had died. And I, I posted a video on Facebook. The middle daughter had died. She had got, um, got shot in her classroom. What parent could ever imagine that? I, so um, they had started before she was murdered. There was a little crawl space that they started making up for her to have this playroom in. And so they started painting the walls, very creative. She was so excited about this crawl space. And um, then the tragedy happened. What happened was the mother could no longer look at the cross, but she said, I can't even go near that. There's no way I can finish it. And what she said is, she said, evil one. Evil one. She said these very words. She said, evil is too powerful. We can't defeat it. It's just too much. But then stuff somehow happened around her neighborhood. Her neighbor just sent out, sent an oil truck over there, filled up her whole oil tank. Then gifts and cards and appreciation just started pouring and love like she couldn't imagine. Her spirit, she started to gain strength. And she started to know and believe that evil is not more powerful than God's goodness. She realized that God has overcome evil, will overcome evil eternally. The return of Jesus is so fantastic because 
Jesus will abolish evil forever. There'll be no more school shootings. There'll be no more murder. There'll be no more health issues. There'll be no more blasphemy. There'll be none of that. Because evil doesn't win. Sin, Satan, and death doesn't have the last word. Jesus comes back and he absolutely abolishes those and destroys those things and brings judgment on those things forever. That's why we look to a a, um, future when Jesus returns where there's no more crying, where there's no more pain, where there's no more depression, where there's no more anxiety, where there's no more war. That's why we look forward to the second coming of Jesus. Now I want to go real quick through the different views that people have on the end times. The first, anyone here with the millennium? You ever hear that talk in the Bible? So there's one passage in Revelation 20, 1 through 6, that talks about the millennium. It's the only passage in all of Scripture. And what has happened is people's interpretation of millennium has dictated what the major worldviews are in Christianity since the beginning. So some called amillennialism or amillennialism. And then there's premillennialism. Then there's postmillennialism. A break off of that is premillennialism, which a subgroup of that is the pre-tribulation premillennialism which really didn't even come. Pre-trib rapture wasn't even until the late 18th century. People didn't even start the Left Behind movies and stuff like that. That didn't even come to the late eight. That's not historic and orthodox by any means. What I want to say is all those viewpoints, they can fit inside the biblical framework. I'm going to be honest with you guys as a pastor. I would totally lead you away from pre-tribulation, dispensationalism, premillennialism, if I'm being honest with you. Am I saying if you believe that, you can't be a part of Restoration Road? Absolutely not. You can believe whatever you want to believe. But I'm saying as a pastor, I would lead you away from that. Um, because I don't think there's as much support. And I'm just not really fond of it through my studies, to be honest with you. I really would not do that. So let's start with our millennialism. This is the belief. When they talk about the millennium, it's more about a heavenly reign. Because when you look through the language in the scriptures, you see that thrones could meet in the interpretation being a heavenly reign that is happening now. So it doesn't have to be a literal a thousand years that happens when Jesus comes back. Okay, it's a heavenly reign. We're in the church period. Jesus comes back. When Jesus comes back, that's the judgment of the living and the dead. Everyone who rises from the dead to be with Jesus, who believes in Jesus, will go on to eternal glory. And everyone who is dead, who will be judged ultimately, who rejected and rebelled against Jesus, will be centered, sentenced to wrath and judgment by God. And we'll talk about hell after Christmas. We don't want to mess up everyone's Christmas. But that's what will happen. So you have the church period. The millennial is a heavenly reign. It's not a literal earthly reign. Jesus comes back. Judgment day happens. Jesus establishes his eternal reign and his kingdom forever. That's the simplest format If I'm honest with you guys, that's where I stand. That's kind of orthodox. I think that has the most support. I would lean towards that. But once again, you don't have to believe like me. Then you have uh, post-millennialism. Theologians like even Jonathan Edwards, these guys believed, it's a very optimistic view, that the gospel will be claimed so much that the whole world will almost fully become Christianized. And the basic values and Christian values will be practiced through government and through the world. And that will be like a millennial reign. And when the world's almost Christianized, then Jesus will come back. And then you have the judgment of the living and the dead and then the eternal state. Then you have premillennialism, which is really, this one is really hard for me to grasp. But I'm not going to say it's not historic because it's been around. It's been one of the three major views since even the early church. 
this view would say, we're in the church age. Jesus is going to come back. Then a literal a thousand years. A literal a thousand years where, this is where it gets tough for me. And I'm not making fun of this. Believe me, it's just hard for me to grasp. That those who are alive at the time, who rejected Jesus, will still go on living on the earth. But those who have glorified bodies who were in Christ and transformed by the return of Jesus will live among them, ruling and reigning with Jesus for a thousand years. During this time, Satan is loosed for a little a thousand years that they call the millennium here on earth. And then after a thousand years, Satan is released one more time. And you believe Revelation 21, 6. That's where they're getting this from. Um, I don't agree on the interpretation, but they say Satan will be released to try to lead one last rebellion against God and to take people away who are still living, having children. You know, those kind of things, people who didn't die on Jesus' second coming. And then Jesus will squash all of that, and then there's eternal reign, the judgment of the living dead, those kind of things. Does that make, I'm trying to make it real simple because Revelation can get complicated in time stuff. So those are the three major ones. Now the subgroup of that, which would be trib- pre-tribulation, premillennialism, is that we're in the church age period, right before the great tribulation, Jesus snatches everyone up. You've seen these movies, right? They're just gone, they're, they're clothes, uh, perfectly folded, their sneakers are next to it. Like, we can't have messy clothes. That's Christians have to have perfectly folded clothes when they get raptured. Everyone's all of a sudden gone. There's crash cars on 95. People are just missing. You go into work. Your boss is not there. He's an undercover Christian. You know, everyone's raptured. All of a sudden, the world sees this spot, right? Kirk Cameron style. Then, tribulation, antichrist, false prophet, that all integrated in there. Then Jesus comes back. To me, that's two times. (laughs) He came back, he came back again. Then all of a sudden, there's that a thousand year period. People are glorified bodies, are living among people with mortal bodies. They're walking around. Satan is totally captive for a thousand years. Then he's loosed after a thousand years and leads a rebellion. Then they crush him. They make another sequel to the movie. It's done. Once again, you can believe that, but I'm honest, I'm not fond of it, you see. Because I don't see the scripture. It just, in the, I think it was the late 18th century. This is a new theological development. Um, I like orthodox stuff. But I'm honest with you guys. This safety to me in the fact that something's been happening since the church was established. I don't like when people start throwing stuff in there. I don't think some guy comes after 1700 years and just throws a major viewpoint in there. Um, those are the three major views. Now, how I want you guys... Three major views with a fourth subcategory. Hear me saying the three major views. Look it up. Believe what you will. We're one. Christ's return. We don't know. It's something we're looking forward to. But how I want you to respond to the coming of Christ, the doctrine of the return of Christ is this. I want you to pray. I want you to pray for it. Is praying for the second coming part of your prayer life? Do you pray for Jesus to come back? And I'm not saying that to condemn you guys. But you should see some of these things. I look at the news and I just look at lives and I say, Jesus, you've got to come back because even our best efforts only put a dent in the evil that's going on in this world. Like, we can help homelessness. We can bring clothes down, bring a turkey down, help people, even build them a home. But you know how many more homeless people there are? Only Jesus, upon his return, can fully wipe out homelessness. We can work to end the sex slave trade. 
We can, we, we can work to end that, and we could even liberate men and women and get them out of the sex trade. But no matter how much we work, we can't stop it fully because man's heart is sinful and people are disgustingly evil. And there'll be another person that's born, another person who raises up and starts the sex trade again because man's heart is evil. Do you understand what I'm saying? I'm saying we need to work hard to end these things. Homelessness, the sex trade, murder, war, school shootings. We need to work hard to end them, to see justice. We should never stop. We should be laboring for that. But all our efforts, there's still man and there's still sinful hearts and there's still evil. And another person will rise up to do disgusting acts until Jesus comes back. He's the only one who will fully wipe out all evil. And he needs to fully wipe out sin, fully wipe it out, for there never to be evil and for it to be fully abolished forever. That's why you should be praying for it. That's why you should be praying for Jesus to come. You should be proclaiming the gospel. You should be proclaiming the gospel. Not spending your time studying the, the seven horsemen. You know what I mean? Even though you shouldn't, you know, study the word. But not be obsessed with it. You should be proclaiming the gospel. You should be telling people the good news. That Jesus Christ came and that he's coming back again. And this is what it means. It's the implications of the Son of God coming and dying and the reality of that. And this third thing I want you guys to really pay attention to. Jesus constantly in his parables says, be ready. Now, this is not a kind of ready where we're scared. This is kind of ready where you realize that any time Jesus could come back. And I'm going to be honest, I'm not one of those guys that is scared Jesus come back tomorrow. Because once again, why would I be afraid of that? You know, that, that's not something to be afraid of. You know, um, but he calls us to be ready because he says many will not be ready. Many will just be going on with their life, acting like Jesus is not coming back. People say, this has gone way too long. What does this soon mean? Let me tell you, 2,000 years is nothing to an infinite, eternal God. That's a lot to us, but 2,000 years is nothing to God. Like a day is a 1,000 years, the scriptures tell us, to God. Don't grow weary and don't say to yourself, I have the next 10 years of my life, just do whatever I want. I wouldn't want to be the person caught in habitual sin when Jesus comes back. I wouldn't want to be that person who's in a bed of fornication when that trumpet blows. I wouldn't want to be that person who's robbing the government when the, when the trumpet blows. I wouldn't be one of that person that's doing that habitual sin. Once again, there's a certain fear of God that's healthy. We should not be comfortable living habitually in sin because of the return of Jesus. So you see the parables... Over and over again in Matthew 24, he says he came back and people weren't ready. And what did people do? They knew Jesus was coming back and they tried to go with other people and say, oh, help me with this, help me. And they said, it's too late. And when judgment day, he said, I gave each one of you a talent. I gave you one a, a talent. He said, some of you multiplied it, some worked hard at it, and some of you buried it. And to the person who buried it, it was serious judgment. So I ask you, what have you been doing with what God has given you? What is your legacy when God comes back, will he be able to say that you've been hard at the work of the gospel? Ask yourself this honestly. Will you be able to say tomorrow that you're ready? Are you ready for Jesus to come back? If the skies opened up now in some spectacular, mysterious way that I can't understand, would there be fear in your heart because of the way you're rebelling against God 
Would you feel secure with your advancement of the gospel and what you're contributing? Or would people be able to say to you that you're living for yourself? Those are the kind of questions I want you to ask. And once again, I don't want people afraid of losing their salvation, but as I was studying these teachings of Jesus, he had no problem. He said a wise servant is going to be about the Father's work, but he said those people who are unfaithful, he said I'm throwing them in a place of weeping and gnashing teeth. Like, I want to say it differently than Jesus, but Jesus was hardcore. He's way more loving than me. He wants us to feel the weight of the seriousness of being ready. I've never, so this is the portion of the sermon where I talked to dude talk that Joffrey always said. I am so blown away. And I, I think it's part of my calling. I need to call out, man. This is why the dude conversation keeps coming out. I'm so blown away at how lazy guys are. I can't even believe what, what the heck happened. Are we really this lazy? I would guarantee you that 90% of the young men today in their 20s and 30s got up today and did not say, is there an elderly person where I can shovel their driveway today? Is there someone I could sacrifice for? I bet they said, i got to get my chicken wings ready for the Patriots game. I am blown away at how many guys are so lazy and will not even work for their families. They're, they're still in their, their mama's house. They are not even close to be working for a kingdom. They don't even work for themselves. This is supposed to be the workforce of the kingdom of God. We're supposed to have 20 and 30-year-olds coming. These are young, stout men who are stepping it up. And they're acting like 13-year-olds till they're 45. And I don't even know if they're growing up at 45. And that's not even a joke. I'm dead serious. This is supposed to be the head of the workforce of the kingdom of God. Jesus called young men, called young tradesmen, fishermen. He said, come and follow me. And he's starting to move it with young men and older men. You don't get away from this if you're 40 or 50. You can't be lazy either. Even 60, even 70. You got to man up. Stop being so lazy. I, I, all the, all the kingdom warfare that needs to go on is going to video games. Really? You're still playing Mortal Kombat 8? You guys think I'm kidding. I'm telling you, these dudes, there's something wrong. I just need to, because these are supposed to be guys that are supposed to be in here, laying the groundwork, preaching the gospel, bearing the weight. These young men are getting caught up in so many other things. And I'll let you women go. But I'm blown away because Jesus is going to come back and it doesn't matter. Just like in the days he said, a man is a man. Even in the Bible you see when he's 18, 20 years old, he's a man. Even the Bible said that. I'm not holding anyone accountable under 20 back in the day when he said, everyone under 20 is off the hook. If you're over 20, you're a man now. You're going to give account. Men over 20, all of us. When God comes back, we are supposed to be above God's work. All of us. All of us. We need to start young. If you have someone here in the gospel and you're 58, you need to come out the gates working hard to advance that gospel and work hard at it. And I want to read you the verse Jesus said so you don't think I'm being too hard on you. He said, Who then is faithful in a wise servant, whom his master has set over his household to give them food at the proper time, Blessed is that servant whom his master will find so doing when he comes. Truly I say to you, he will set him over all his possessions. But if that wicked servant says to himself, my master is delayed, he's not coming back anytime soon, and begins to beat his fellow servant, eats and drinks and with drunkards, so the master of the servant will come on a day 
when he does not expect him, and an hour he does not know, and will cut him into pieces and put him in with hypocrites. In that place will there be weeping and gnashing of teeth. I didn't want you guys to think I made up the weeping and gnashing of teeth stuff. So that's Jesus talking heavy about people when they come back not doing the work of the Lord. So once again, I didn't mean for that to get that heavy. I want you guys to feel the weight of that. But Jesus didn't play around. He said, what kind of work are you doing? And in parables, what did he say? He said, did you visit that person in prison? He said, did you feed the hungry? Did you clothe the naked? And he said, what are you talking? He said, did you do this unto me? And the people said, what? We didn't see you in the streets. We didn't see you naked. We didn't see you in prison. We didn't, prison. We didn't see you hungry. What are you talking about? He said, when you've done it unto the least of these, you've done it unto me. That is the Father's work. When you're taking care of the poor. This is true religion. Taking care of widows and the poor. That's what Jesus says. I want you, all of us to be among the work. I want us to, me to feel the weight of that. So finally, the reason we look forward to the coming of Jesus is because of the gospel. It's because on Judgment Day, now this might seem funny because both, I'm both called call to preach you guys to come to action and I'm both called to preach grace to you. So there's a funny tension there where we know none of our works earn salvation. But a man is truly saved, a woman is truly saved, their life looks different. You can't be truly changed by God inside and not be taking care of the poor. You can't truly be changed inside and not taking care of the hungry. You can't truly be changed inside and not preaching the gospel. You guys need to hear that. So it's not your works that save you, but it's the fact that you're saved and something's happened inside you and Jesus says, you've been doing my work. So be encouraged that it's, it's by grace, but that grace should cause us in the light of the return of Christ to advance the gospel. Amen?